Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast for our latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. You are listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and Gary Howard, Europe editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Maritime in Minutes is our monthly podcast where we pick out some of the most topical news stories from the world of maritime on Sea Trade Maritime News. And today we're covering September 2022. So, right, Gary, would you like to kick us off for this first rather short week, or more correctly, first two working days of September? Yeah, we've actually got some pretty good stories to choose from, despite it only being two days at the beginning of the month. But um, upgrading existing ships, a vital tool in decarbonisation journey. I thought I'd start with a story from a mini event as I braced myself for the big one. This was a story by Paul Bartlett covering the Marantech Innovation Webinar at the beginning of September. A worthy reminder from panellists, including Dr. Martin Stopford, that upgrading existing ships will be essential to meet any zero carbon targets in the future. This was very much a theme that ran through SMM2, but we will get to that. Stopford laid out the scale of the challenge ahead in that existing ships are likely to generate about half of shipping's emissions between 2020 and 2050. Clearly, we've all got an eye on the zero carbon fuels of the future, but we'd be wise to look at the ground we can make up by retrofitting the existing fleet. Fortunately, in many cases, this proves to make economic sense as well as just environmental sense. So we have seen some broader fleet renewal programs started as companies endure higher fuel prices and prepare for possible carbon pricing in the years to come. Marcus, I think you've got some gloomy bankers to lighten the tone. Yeah, something like that. For the first couple of days of the month, I've chosen a story that essentially kicked off an entire month of very bad news of the container sector. So I just thought I'd start at the beginning. On the 1st of September, we published a story on a report by HSBC Global Research that container shipping line profits would drop by 80% in 2023 24 as the era of massive profits comes to an end. And there was also a warning that spot rates could fall to pre-pandemic levels, drawing a comparison with the dry pulp market. Based on comments on my LinkedIn feed, people felt this story was a bit alarmist. As the month progressed, it started to look more and more accurate prediction. Container spot rates have been losing 10% a week on average, according to the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index. And by the fourth week of September, they were down 58% on their all-time high in January. It does look like the party is well and truly over. And the question is now, how hard will the landing for the container shipping line be? You can hear more about this in another episode of the CJ Maritime Podcast later this week, where we talk with Adam Kent from Maritime Strategies International about the outlook for shipping markets, including containers. Make sure you tune into that episode to find out more. Now, Gary, moving on to week two, and you were having an ever so slightly busy time in Hamburg, I believe. Busy indeed, yeah, and pretty hectic, and not just because my flight home was cancelled at the last minute. When I was going through the stories of September, I had forgotten that SMM was in September because it feels like 100 years ago. But yes, SMM. Now, in formal markets, we're ourselves ultimately an events company, so it was great to see the industry back out in force in Hamburg. I've heard many comments both at the show and at a few meetings and events since discussing just how well attended the show was, and there were even some kind words about the Global Maritime Environmental Congress, or GMEC for short, which was a one-day conference program organised by yours truly in partnership with uh, SMM hosts Hamburg Messer. 
Decarbonisation was very much the overarching theme of SMM, even outside of the GMIC program. So I've picked a sort of wrap-up piece that I did at the end of the week titled Drowning in Decarbonisation, which links to many of the stories from across the show. Uh, I'll pick out a couple here. Firstly, the German federal government saying that retrofitting will be key to meeting climate targets, which ties in nicely with my week one pick and was also music to the ears of many attendees at SMM, I'm sure, with so many tech companies represented there and European shipyards perhaps more competitive in the retrofit market than uh, than a new building. Another piece looked at a comment by Michael Parker from City. He asserted that there is no God-given right to be a ship owner, which I found interesting. Parker was referring to the threat of increased regulatory burden pushing out smaller ship owners. It seems he's expecting the market to do as it will. Uh, I did enjoy one comment he made, though. He said he was glad to be making that point in Hamburg rather than in Athens, as he might not have made it out of a room of Greek ship owners with that attitude. <laughs> Elsewhere, there was discussion on energy systems in general and whether electricity grids will be able to cope with demand from decarbonizing industries, not just shipping. And there was a very interesting session on wind propulsion and some challenges still being faced there, and a little scrutiny of the term collaboration and how to actually get concrete results from collaboration and not just a, a nice word in a press release. That'll do for SMM, but there's a whole section on the website for you to look through everything that came out of uh, Hamburg that week. Marcus, I'll be interested to hear what else was going on that week, as I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> just before I come to that, there was a nice bit of self-awareness by Michael Parker there that um, making that comment in Athens would have perhaps been uh, detrimental to his uh, how much longer he was going to live. But anyway, moving on. From my side, while continuing to write about the woes of the container shipping market during that week, I've chosen to look at another market where we've actually had nothing really positive to write about since about 2014. Our New York correspondent, Barry Parker, took a look at offshore stocks in a story entitled Offshore Buoyant on a Rising Tide. Barry flagged up positive analyst reports both on the drilling rig site for Transocean, with day rates for floaters up to $400,000 a day, and also for offshore service vessels with uh, Tidewater, which recently acquired Swamp Pacific Offshore in Singapore. Tidewater's average day rates have increased to 12,500 per day, and there is more upside potential seen. In the cyclical-driven world of shipping and marine, offshore may long, may after many long bleak years, finally be seen beyond the up again. Gary, and over to you for week three. I was going to pick a story about negative economic indicators in the US for the container sector, but I feel like they're going to get enough bad news during this podcast. So uh, instead, I'll pick something a little bit brighter. Uh, David Glass wrote a piece on ship finance and how the market has grown for the first time in 11 years. According to Petrofin Research, they have a, a global ship finance index, and it ticked up from 62 in 2021 to... 63! First rise in 11 years. Don't get too excited, I suppose. The index level of 100 was set in 2008, and we're still always off of that. Behind the index improvement was a rise of just over 1% in total lending to shipping by the biggest 40 banks in the sector. Petrofin said the turnaround was assisted by continuing central banks' monetary easing, low interest rates, and a resurgence of demand for goods and commodities, leading to increased congestion and fleet inefficiency. 
I don't mean to put a downer on a story I chose for being upbeat, but even I can see potential future trouble for a good news story built on low interest rates, increasing demand for goods, and supply chain congestion. Three factors which have sort of aged like milk since the report was written. Marcus, what have you got for week three? Looking into week three, I'd like to highlight an excellent contribution by Nithu Gupta, CEO and co-founder of Singapore-based data analyst Portcast. With the quest to build the ever-larger container ship that's well-documented, shipping lines continue to claim the crown for each marginally larger 24,000 TU vessel. We've had multiple ones this year. The rationale for such massive vessels is obviously economies of scale and cost per unit. However, they also cause operational difficulties for terminal operators. Portcast analysed the waiting times at the port of Hamburg and found that vessels with a high TU capacity are likely to spend four times longer than smaller vessels waiting for berth allocation. So essentially, ultra-large vessels are one of the factors in port congestion that has plagued the supply chain. There are times when I can't help but feel this industry is basically just its own worst enemy. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I remember going back sort of eight years or so and these mega vessels first started being designed and delivered and ports saying, how are we going to deal with these? And um, I think the response was just to roundly ignore them, to be honest. <laughs> but I don't think you'll get many people arguing against you on the, uh, the industry being its own worst enemy sometimes. My week four pick, though, there's a little example of the container sector trying to help itself out a little bit. China's Golden Week this year runs October 1 to 7, and a couple of analysts put out comments on the rise in blanked sailings around this period, essentially because Golden Week can be blamed for the blankings and the container lines will take less flack from their customers, as far as I can tell. Of course, lines are facing falling demand and congestion is slowly being cleared up. So blanking sailings is a means to control supply and try to slow the demise of uh, ocean freight rates in the spot sector particularly. Alan Murphy at Sea Intelligence said that the blankings this year are higher than pre-pandemic levels in 2019 and well above the averages for 2014 to 2018 as well. So this isn't just business as usual. Zanetta noted some counter-seasonal movements when it comes to blankings on the Asia-US trades as this year's peak season fell pretty flat. Okay, Marcus, I think you've got some bad news for the bean counters this well, time. Well, yes. Kind of those record profits that container lines have been making are resulting in certain other sectors kind of pushing up their prices. And that brings me to the Suez Canal, which is hiking tolls by 15% for most vessel sectors, including containers, and 10% for bulkers and cruise ships from the start of 2023. It's clearly a story that's going to impact quite a serious portion of the shipping industry that basically trades between Asia and the Middle East and Europe and uses the Suez Canal. What interested me about this story, though, was the rationale for the increases. In part, it's based on how well individual sectors within shipping are doing. So essentially, our customers are making more money so they can afford to pay more. And then there is the factor of fuel price. A higher bunker price environment means that ship owners or ship operators save more in quantum terms by using the Suez Canal than taking the much longer route via the Cape of Good Hope. So effectively, since the vessel operator using the Suez Canal has now has higher operating costs due to higher fuel costs, the Suez Canal is going to charge them more for using their services as well. It's not a rationale I'm sure I'd want to be explaining to my customers face to face, to be honest. 
It is, though, also worth noting the Suez Canal said its own costs had increased due to high inflation, and this was another factor in those toll increases. <laughs> yes, I expect our costs of increase goes better than you've got more money and we want it. And Gary, we're into the home stretch. Okay, so into week five, I'll pick up a story that I actually wrote just yesterday covering a conference session at our Saudi Maritime Congress event, which is happening as we speak out in Daman. There's been some excellent discussion out there and a busy show. Keep an eye out for more coverage from our Middle East correspondent, Peter Shaw-Smith, when he gets a sort of second to himself at the show. I was in the virtual audience for a session on the tanker market and a great lineup. And Lois Sabroki, CEO of International Seaways, laid out her case for a coming tanker bull run. Beside her, Dr. Maria Angelakousis was a little more reserved in her forecast, but still expects tight fundamentals in the tanker market. And in general, there was little in the way of doom-mongering on the stage, to be honest. It's great to hear this from titans of industry, as throughout September, when picking my stories, I've been tempted by some other market commentaries about the outlook for the tanker sector, all of which seem to be pretty positive. So if you check out the tanker market tag on Sea Trade Maritime News, you should find some more uh, commentary going back on how things look to be looking up for our friends in the tanker sector. Marcus, week five, why don't you see us out with your final pick? Indeed, I will. Coming to the sort of the last week of the month, I've chosen a story on why safety is going to be critical in early stage products for alternative fuels, such as ammonia and hydrogen, being used shipboard. Now, while clearly safety is always important, when dealing with new fuels such as ammonia, which is highly toxic, and hydrogen, which has an array of challenges either in its gaseous or liquid form, this is going to be doubly or trebly so. In a presentation on alternative fuels in Singapore, Simon Hindley, Managing Director of Solace Marine Engineering, made the point that these first projects would be demonstrators for the industry as a whole. If there was an incident at this stage, that could effectively end the use of this new fuel type as an opportunity for the industry to use as a zero-carbon or low-carbon fuel option in the future. It was a point that was also backed by classification society DNV when it comes to floating production platforms for ammonia or hydrogen that are currently on the drawing board. No doubt these early projects will be very closely watched. Now, come to the end of Maritime Minutes for the month of September, I'm actually going to go off now and write a story on an ammonia-fueled Aframax project which has just uh, reached the MOU stage. Thank you so much for listening, and myself and Gary will see you next month to talk about what happened in October on Maritime in Minutes. <laughs>